0: Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, and welcome back to the West Ham Breakdown after two. Games very contrasting, one against uh, TSC Bajka where it all looked very worrying for for a short period of time. Uh, And then we sort of got things back under control relatively smoothly after that. Unsurprising that unlocking a deep block involved quite a few crosses and some corners (laughs) in the end. But we'll come on to talk about that game a little bit towards the end of this podcast. We're going to talk mainly at the beginning of this podcast about the Liverpool match, um, which disappointing result. But a somewhat pleasing performance. It's very similar, I think, in terms of the analysis to the Man City game. But we'll be covering a couple of things in this show, looking at individual performances, uh, some of the tactical things going on, and particularly focusing as well on substitutions, how they change things and how we manage uh games given the fact that antonio is the age he is he's gonna have to come off after an hour we talked about it briefly in the last episode and we said we'd come to it on another pod so we're going to talk about it in in more depth on this one because it's pretty relevant after the most recent game i am of course as always joined by Callum Goodall. um how are things
1: yeah all good all good um Yeah, this week's been good. I realised it dawned on me last week. I had a little story that I didn't tell you. I'll keep it very quick. But the festival I was at last weekend, you'll never guess who I saw in the middle of the dance.
0: Who have you seen?
1: (laughs) Andy Carroll? No, Patrice Everett was cutting some fine shapes. i forgot to mention it completely um but yeah i'm pretty sure there'll be some videos of it on twitter but yeah it was a a great festival with a lot of good dance music and uh i was just catching a dj that i like and yeah patrice Everett was there stood on the bandstand cutting some moves so thought i'd share that with the pod but uh other than that yeah i'm all all right i'm all good
0: <laughs> doing more for a west ham fan there than he ever did in claret and blue <laughs> <laughs> um, before we start, I uh, just would like to, to give a shout because I keep doing it at the end of the podcast and I'm meant to do it at the start of the podcast. Please do head over to analyticsunited.co.uk forward slash members if you want to support the pod. Uh, we run pay what you want um, from this season onwards. So whatever you can contribute to help us to continue to produce this would be greatly appreciated. But yeah, let's chat. Liverpool, I don't know how you felt after it, Cal. Um, obviously, we've had two really tough games against two tough opponents. And, and the, what I've written in the pod plan is, you know, big question mark for the opening section: Are performances more important than results in these games? And and I hope you're siding with me on the on the side that yes, I would say performances are significantly more important than results in these games. We had a quick look back at past results against Liverpool and Man City. Uh, I think most people are aware that it's just one one since one win since 1963 away at Anfield, uh, back in 2015, uh, Diafra Sacco goal, and uh, since the Man City takeover, uh, three wins against them two of which Diafra scored in. It. So is the hypothesis that without Diafra, it's just impossible, mate?
1: Bring him back. Bring him back. Um, yeah, no, I think, yeah, obviously, no surprise that I completely side with you on this one. Um, I think every season there's teams that you kind of, you want to see a good performance against, but you don't expect to take any points from, particularly uh, away at Anfield. I, I kind of went into this not really expecting to get anything. They've, they've also looked electric at the start of this season um, and have always historically been very good at home, um, particularly during the Klopp era. So I think it was more about seeing things, seeing tweaks, seeing tactical things on the pitch and how they panned out. And I think we can come away with these two results if we look at them collectively probably two of the best teams in the country this season. I would expect them both to be up there. Um, I think City will probably run away with the title, but I think Liverpool will push them close, at least for the start of the season. Um, and yeah, I think my main takeaways are that both on a team level and on an individual level, there are some real positives to take away from it. Um none less than Bowen and Paquitar against Liverpool, uh, who both continued their uh, fine start to the season with some some real solid performances. Um, So, yeah, reasons to be cheerful.
0: Yeah, it was interesting actually listening to Lucas Bakata's interview after the game where he spoke about the the development in his relationship with with Jared Burns specifically, and the fact that they're more aware of how each other like to play on the pitch and how to react to each other's uh, movement, and saying that Jared like you know knows more now what what Lucas wants to do when he pick up, picks up the ball, and also he's aware of the the timing that, that Jared likes to to run on and the angles, and and therefore that makes it easier for him to 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 help. Jared to perform as well going forward. Um, and we kind of saw that come together pretty perfectly, actually, on, on the goal that we scored, um, at the end of the first half. I, I should say before we, before we rush too far ahead that we had a very good start to the game. It was super impressive, actually. I think watching the first 15 minutes of the game and watching us settle so easily away at Anfield and actually take decent control of the first 15 minutes of the match, um, was, was very impressive to me and a couple of players stood out in that period. Uh, Very nice to see the blend of of that midfield unit with Paketa shifted to the left and Ward-Prowse at 10 and Suchik and Alvarez. I mean, if you'd spoken to us before the start of the season and said, how do you feel about a midfield three that is Suchik and Alvarez at the base and Ward-Prowse at at number 10, we would have panicked. Um, We would have, we would have totally panicked. And we would have been thinking mainly about how is this team going to be comfortable in possession. But then first 15 minutes at Anfield, it's that midfield, and they look totally fine. <laughs> and Suchek, actually, to his credit, um, performed, yep. I think he had a good game on the whole, but particularly in that period of the match was, was super impressive. And it's only an incredible save from, from Alisson that stopped us going ahead early, which you'd have to think would have changed the game considerably.
1: Yeah, massively. Um, And I think you're right to highlight, I think I had it down as the first 10 and then Liverpool sort of started to turn the screw a bit and then obviously got that goal. But I think for us, a David Moyes side to go away to Anfield um, and yeah, like you say, just assert control to some degree uh, or at least more control than one would expect from a team that has really leaned into this sort of counter-attacking lowest possession in the league philosophy um to turn up and sort of play with the sort of pomp that the players looked like they had um against a, a terrifying liverpool side particularly that attack um was was really impressive and i think yeah sucek was uncharacteristically impressive um i think there was one um moment in possession i should say everyone knows that i'm a big fan of sucek but on the ball i think that sort of half space cross i did not anticipate thomas suchek being the one to whip those balls into the box and we're whole it not move a, that leads to yeah. that, that chance and then suchek yeah like you
0: say being the guy that's whipping it from the half space yeah. in front i mean it's a terrible miss We should say for yeah, oh, yeah. a fantastic 100%. opportunity and that coming after the brilliant save from Allison, which was the other side again. It's interesting, isn't it? We did sort of hint at half space crossing being something that we yeah. might see more this season. And earlier it was Pakita whipping the ball across to Suchek, and it's a great save from Allison. And then it's Sucek whipping the ball across to to Antonio, um, and it's a terrible miss. But the whole move was 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 really impressive. And yeah, like you say, wild to see Suchek playing the role that he does it. <laughs>
1: Yeah, long may it continue though, I guess. Um if he's gonna be able to offer us that in possession, um, then he's gonna be a far more useful squad member than than maybe we we would have thought um in terms of his limited skill set uh that we've seen, particularly last season, and, and what a negative he was when we tried to keep the ball. But yeah, I, I was I was impressed, and I think that's that's saved from Allison. I think he didn't have tons to do throughout the game, but I think he for me, is probably the best goalkeeper in the Prem um, at the minute and has been for some time for my money. And I think in games like this, um, and I think it's part of the reason I came away feeling positive, um, both in terms of Liverpool out of possession and Allison's contribution and then what their attacking players can do. I think you have to sort of have these games in moments and we created moments and unfortunately their brilliance was, was what prevented those moments from happening, whether it was the the Zuma. Um, unfortunate, it wasn't a miss. He hit the target, but Alisson saving it, or the lack of quality compared to their attack in Antonio missing that attempt. It's just those moments that separate these teams. Um, and yeah, I think you come away if we if we create those chances against lesser opposition, then then we do put them away. And if Liverpool. If opposition teams create the chances that Liverpool created, they don't put them away. But Liverpool have the <laughs> the power to turn those um, opportunities into goals. So I think, yeah, if it, there was enough signs there for me to think against the vast majority of opposition in this league this season, if we turn out performances like that and moments like that, then we should be fine.
0: Impressive of you to mix up Zuma and Suchek. That's, 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 that's new heights <laughs> of confusing two players. <laughs> um, but uh, let's, talk, let's, let's talk very briefly, um, about Liverpool's first goal in the first half. And then we'll, we'll cover more some of those positives that we saw on a tactical level and then comfortability in possession and the things that we're seeing improve at, at West Ham so far, particularly against these two top quality opposition sides. Um, there's been a lot of focus on Niagara Goad. We talked about him briefly last episode said we weren't going to talk about him and then talked about him a little bit and we've talked about him a lot <laughs> over the pods so far this season. And I think we are going to talk about him just briefly again to say that neither of us feel that the first goal, which is an error from Nyev, is really on Nyef as a whole because it's a it's a it's a collective mistake if you like because it's a series of small errors that that leads to the chance and it's something that we're going to talk about again when it comes to Liverpool's second goal another series of small errors that leads to an opportunity rather than just landing and saying you know it's the centre-backs that are the problem there are a couple of things that happen before in both cases that lead to the opportunities for for Liverpool and with the first goal you know Ward-Prowse it's a loose header, loses possession, Vlad. And maybe it's a slight concern. I would only say it's a slight concern because he is doing quite a lot of good work, um, in terms of overlapping Bowen and offering something going forward. Yeah, he's not like completely lethal, but he has got two assists already, um, from, from that side. And, and that's a decent rate already from your right back. And he is generally pretty reliable defensively. He's had a couple of tough opponents in the last two <laughs> games. Um, and maybe the timing hasn't been perfect, maybe he's been too eager to jump too quickly, and we see this again on the first goal where he maybe would have been better backing off and, and retreating and allowing the space for the for the player in possession, but he jumps is beaten. And then the knock-on effect there is that Zuma has to move from centre-back to effectively being like a right-back in, in the right-back space, which leaves a guard with the whole box to defend on his own. And then you have the unfortunate Nunez deflection. I think a is doing the right thing by coming across to marshal the space that Nunez is running into, because the pass to Salah is much more difficult, much less likely to be completed, but it falls perfectly for Salah, and he suddenly finds himself turning around Salah's on the ball. What am I going to do? Sticks a leg out. Yeah, it's a mistake, but you have to look at everything that's happened before it, don't you?
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think with Safar, I think we've seen it against City as well. There was a few instances against Doku, understandably, where you kind of he just pressed out because he felt like he needed to close him down. When really, retreating and sort of giving the attacker, which sounds weird, but giving the attacker more options, um, rather than if you press out, you're you're making the decision for the attacker because they're like, "Well, he's pressed me, so I'm going to play it into the space." Whereas I think in that instance and a few occasions against Doku, if he had have just sat off, the person in possession is then faced with a decision of, OK, well, do I still try and find the player that's running on be in behind the fullback or do I carry into the space that's in front of me? And then in those moments, Ward Prowse has got a bit more time to redeem himself and and maybe press the player on the ball after giving the ball away um, and afford to see file to retreat in in those moments so I think it's just small small decisions like that and again it is those fine margins that come between having 100 million pound players or players that you've signed from the Czech first division who have come in and done a more than an admirable job considering (laughs) the price tag attached to them Um, and and that's it that's it and and we're not Liverpool we're West Ham so you, you can't complain too much and I think again I came away from it with Sufau feeling that I was pretty pleased that he got an assist because he had another very tricky assignment out, out on that flank. Um, and he got some rewards for what I thought was a, a good job against very difficult opposition, all things considered.
0: I will say, I think he was buggered either way against Man City when you're talking about backing yeah. before engaging. Doki was having an incredible game. Yeah. People will be listening thinking, but he did back off and then they scored when he did that. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So I think, you know, that was tough. That was tough either way. And I think more when we're talking about engaging or backing off i think part part of the issue maybe is that the midfield is a little bit different you don't have someone like deck now in the midfield who can cover just eat ground up which maybe allows your fullbacks to go all right yeah we'll back off because deck's going to get back uh, and deal with this warprouse different kettle of fish he can run a long way but he can't necessarily run that long way very quickly (laughs) um Mm -hmm. so maybe that puts the emphasis or the um more responsibility at the defenders' doors. They feel like more need to step out and do something quicker because the midfield is not going to get back just as quickly as it has done um, previously. We'll see how that one uh, develops as the as the season um, continues. But biggest positive, surely, from this game has to be, and we talked about it a little bit talking about that first 10 minutes, um, Liverpool press very intensely. I'm not sure if you've noticed, dear listener, uh, but Liverpool <laughs> press... Like, crazy. And um, and I'm used to watching West Ham play two passes and then Fabianski or one of the centre-backs goes, right, have it. Or the ball goes out to Vlad and he goes, have it. Um, and nine times out of ten we lose the ball. What I am not used to is West Ham casually passing the ball around the back. Goalkeeper to centre-back, to full-back, into the six, back to the centre-back, out to left-back, into Pakatar, draws a little player throws a little faint, passes it back to Emerson and lo and behold, we're out against one of the top pressing teams in the world. <laughs> I'm not used to that. And um, yet that's what I was watching, uh, particularly in the first half at Anfield. And that has to be a huge positive to take away from the game, doesn't
1: it? A 100%. And again, like we've said, if we can do that against Liverpool, then against other teams, it's going to be a huge, huge step in the right direction for us. Um, for pretty much two years now, we've complained to varying degrees about our sort of (laughs) inability in build-up, depending on the personnel. And and it has been better at times and it's been terrible at times. But yeah, I think introducing players like Paquita and and like Alvarez in front of the centre-backs who have confidence that they can play it into the feet of the man in front of them, rather than having to bypass them because they maybe don't look as though they want to receive the ball. Um, I suppose the obvious example last year was in Sufal, and generally one of the options that he would have in front of him most often was Suchek who never really wants to receive the ball and certainly not on the half turn to progress it forward so instead of playing that pass who he now has the option of passing into a Ward-Prowse or an Alvarez um, instead he would just go beyond Suchek and, and try and hit Antonio and now we have those sort of players that are almost desperate to get on the ball and try and make things work and play through the thirds rather than just sort of kicking it over the middle third and hoping that everyone can run quickly enough to the final third and then get on the second ball. Um, and yeah, I think this is something that is still very much in its infancy. And I think you see that at times because there are moments where the players go, oh, actually crap, we're not meant to do this sod this and then and play through. But with time comes confidence and and the more confidence we have in those deeper areas, the better A we're going to be against high-pressing teams, which has been a huge, well, maybe huge weakness is is a bit of an overstatement, but certainly a weakness, um, particularly against better opposition. But also the flip side is that against weaker opposition, we're going to be so much more comfortable in possession because we're going to be able to play through them and and against a weaker press, we'll be able to find the gaps. And then we've now got the players in the advanced positions to punish those gaps, whether that's Bowen running in between a gap that we've forced between a midfielder and a defender, or whether that's Paketar finding a pocket of space in midfield and then get into the half space and play one of those crosses into a on-running midfielder. Um, Those moments are going to be happening far more often. And the The more often they do happen, the more likely we are to create those moments that we spoke of earlier against better opposition. Um, And the more likely we are to be able to break down the low box because we're going to be able to maintain the threat like Liverpool did against us so effectively, Uh, really. I think one of the real strengths of this Liverpool side that I saw against us was the ability to just circulate possession in and around our defensive third, like they just play it around the box. And rather than the sort of horseshoe effect that we've had, it was more sort of vertical one twos and players interchanging positions. And eventually a centre-back is forced to track that runner and a gap opens in behind for a Nunez to get on the end of a ball that's been played over the top. And yes, not everyone's going to have a Dominic Sobyshlai who seems to be able to see through walls, I would imagine uh, with that vision. (laughs) But um it's, yeah, it, it was super impressive. And whilst I'm not going to sit here and pretend that we're likely to ever reach that level of being able to circulate the ball around the box, when you start to integrate the players like Paketar, like Ward-Prowse, like Kudus, hopefully, given the sort of stuff we saw uh, in his cameo and his exceptional performance in the Europa League, um, that is going to become far more of a reality than it ever has been uh, under Moyes.
0: There are lots of things going on in build up that are, that are much improved to everything we've seen previously one of the, one of the big parts of that is that um although Ariola's longer distribution can leave a lot uh, to be desired <laughs> shall we say um what he does do is he is willing to take the ball under pressure and keep possession and play it to a centre back rather than than going long as his first thought. That's mm-hmm. one of the things that really helps to begin with. Um and the much maligned Naeath actually contributes a lot in terms of build up as well, being comfortable in possession, happy under pressure, um and and does also add a little bit of verticality rather than always playing to the fullback. I think you'll largely see Zuma always go to to Vlad, Ariola or Nyf um unless there's a space to go to 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 Edson. Um Nayef at times is happy to go straight into into Pacata or whoever's occupy, occupying that sort of half space, much more advanced up the pitch, which does help as well just to break through without um uh, needing to Im- invite super high pressure um at all times. But one of the players who I think we'd have to say didn't have his best season last season and um and certainly didn't offer masses um, from a defensive perspective, but looked promising going forward. A um, bit of credit for him defensively first, because he was up against Mo Salah, and actually that side was pretty solid throughout the game. Didn't really have huge problems on, on that side of the pitch, and um, and that's down to Emerson defensively. But going forward and in build-up, he's contributing a huge amount so far this season, isn't he?
1: Yeah, massively. And I think uh, I will happily admit that I didn't foresee this. And I think left back was an area. Nor did I. Yeah. For <laughs> <laughs> anyone that's been listening to us for a while, they will know that left back was a massive area uh, of concern for us going into this. It was one of our priority positions to recruit in because Cresswell was just, has been on the decline for a while. Uh, and Emerson hadn't shown that he was capable of becoming the quality of left back that we would want as our first choice so I think the idea was that we bring in another left back Emerson remains second choice Cresswell phased out etc but Emerson yeah it's I, just changed dramatically like what he offers us in possession is is crazy Um, and I think in terms of the development Stylistically, of the team as well, in terms of what he can offer that Cresswell couldn't, is the dynamism down that left-hand side is something that we have lacked for so long. And I think bringing in a left-back with the ball-carrying ability that Emerson has, and the sort of threat that he presents in the final third, is a massive, massive thing for us to be able to unlock in terms of what we can offer uh, in possession and 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 the threat that we present as a team, not just him as an individual, and the sort of ability that. Emerson has also, as an enabler in terms of unlocking those pockets of space for Paqueta to operate in the half space so well, because Emerson, unlike Cresswell, is now forcing the opposition fullbacks to commit to him, and in a similar way that Cifal was doing for Bowen when he was at his best, and has started to do again this season, he pins those fullbacks back, creates pockets of space around the edge of the box for Bowen to get onto the ball and cutting on his left foot, and now we're seeing it with Paqueta who can also operate on his left foot and now we've got in swinging as well as out swinging crosses as a, as a real danger and that just adds a whole different blend and makes it a lot more difficult for opposition defences to defend against because we've got a much more versatile sort of arsenal of weapons so to speak in terms of how we want to attack the penalty box whereas before it was quite predictable it was especially with Cresswell it was let him get on the ball in deeper areas roll the ball out and he'll whip across in and if that's the only way that you can build down the left, then it's quite easy to defend against. Um, But yeah, I think Emerson has been brilliant. And I think if you look at the numbers, it's borne out as well. Um, I think if you look at them at face value, it might not seem as impressive, but obviously you have to factor in the fact that we are about eight possession points, worse off, uh, worse off in inverted commas, because I think it's obviously been a good thing for us. Um, But this obviously affects his, uh, his output. But when you aggregate it, to assume that we've had 50% possession in both seasons, then there's upticks in most areas. Um, progressive distance carried is probably the biggest one. He's up almost 15 yards uh, a game, which I think just speaks to that sort of dynamism and bursting runs down the left um, to, to basically, A, get us out of pressure, but also progress into the final third. Um, and and then is
0: giving um, him so much space as well but I, Yeah, when doing that. It's, it's a very different relationship. I mean, we'll talk about Paqueta more in a little bit and I'll let you run through the rest of the data before we do that, but it's a very different relationship with Paqueta ahead of him now to what it would have been with Saeed ahead of him, where Saeed maybe wasn't being able, wasn't able to attract so much pressure to release where he's then able to just run into open space like we've seen so far from Emerson.
1: Yeah, 100%. And I think it's it's partially a, a product, well, almost wholly a product of Paquetta's inspired form. I think defences would have been quite happy to let, Ben Rama sort of have some space because he doesn't provide anywhere near as much of a threat as Paqueta does. Whereas if you've got a player like Paqueta who's putting in 10 out of 10 performances on the regular at the minute um, and against City and Liverpool, he he forces them to double team him, which therefore creates that space for Emerson to attack. Um, But yeah, upticks in terms of touches as well per 90, which is just showing how... Like you said, Ariola is willing to get him more involved, and the centre backs have more confidence in releasing him as well. Um, and then also his creativity in the final third, upticks in shot creating actions in terms of expected assisted goals per ninety as well, um, touches in the penalty area. And then also I think a key one that that maybe wouldn't be something that you would automatically look for for a fullback, particularly in a David Moyes side, but that is really important now with the addition of Ward Prowse and also some more aerial threats is the fact that he's basically drawing an additional foul per 90 every other game which if we're going to be that much of a threat from set pieces and rely so heavily on them given that we don't have much possession again we're back to that moments talking point if you can create a moment every other game where James Wood Prowse can stand over the ball and prevent a direct goal threat then that is a real net positive for you as a as a player in a David Moore system so yeah I think Emerson has really been key to unlocking something a little bit different uh, in attack. And though we have reverted to the stylistic sort of model that we were at our best at under Moyes in that first season, it isn't exactly the same because the the positions, though we're still depending on that left side, the roles and functions that they're actually carrying out are so much more dynamic, which I think is why we've been able to sort of be as effective as we were as compared to the end of that season where it was a tried and tested method, but teams had started to clock on and we started to see that we needed something to change, which is how we ended up pursuing that sort of possession comfortable style, which just didn't work. And instead we've gone back to a revised version of something that really worked and and long may it continue.
0: It's interesting you saying about drawing fouls as well, because I find it quite funny watching Vlad fall over a couple of times whilst going (laughs) past Andy Robertson thinking, yeah, Bit of, bit of cynical winning fouls <laughs> at West Ham. Usually David's like, none of that. We'll have no, <laughs> we'll have no cynical yeah. attempts to win fouls. We shall not attempt to win penalties. I mean, the, we're still doing that a little bit because Bowen should have just poked the ball past McAllister so when he saw that yeah. tackling tackle coming and, and easily won a penalty. A bit mad that he didn't. Um, but, uh, it is good to see players. Taking free kicks or trying to win free kicks now yeah. um, that that James Ward-Prowse can contribute from, and a couple of things on 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 build-up from me. Uh, the first of which is that so far this season, of course, we played Brighton, Man City, Liverpool. That's going to uh, and, and that's going to impact this, but we're facing by far the lowest average PPDA um, that we ha- have done. Uh, before in the Premier League under under David Moyes at the moment. I think it's sitting at 7.38 uh, average PPDA against. So teams are pressing. And when you're looking at generally what's happening in the league, that's what we're seeing. Teams are largely pressing. So it's going to be very important. We've been talking about it, like you said, for years because we have seen this, the development of more pressing approaches. So... It's always become, you know, more and more important every season to be able to deal with that pressure, to be able to handle it, and play through it. Um, But yeah, it's a very. This is. I feel like this was the season where we would very much need it, and if we hadn't found a way to do it, it would be causing us huge problems. Um, So it's a relief that that it has sort of clicked into some sort of positive rhythm for us uh, so far this season. And the other thing I would say, which you know, I feel very harsh talking about. As much as Deck was an amazing player for us and contributed a lot from a progressive angle, I do think that, you know, when you had Deck in the team and also Pablo, who's not playing such a big role now, uh, as much as I love both those players, anyone who's followed by Twitter account will know that I really <laughs> love both of those players, particularly Pablo, um they are accelerate at any cost kind of guys. You know, Deck was always playing big switches, direct balls forward, carrying the ball himself. I just feel like with Edson now in the midfield and and Packeter on the left and coming inside and Walprowse in there as well, there are so many more, Walprowse almost plays that it kind of vaguely reminds me of Noble. It's just like, all right, everything feels so much more calm and stable now and that when pressure does come, it's not, right, let me find the most ambitious pass that I can play or dribble past someone and and keep this move going forward. We are happy at times just to go back to the centre-backs, back to the keeper. The keeper isn't going to punt it. He'll play out again and we'll start again. And that's fine. And uh, at the moment, we're not seeing a massive uptick in our, our, our passes per possession or anything, actually. I think it's averaging at, the, at its lowest point. Again, that's going to be impacted by the fact that we've played Brighton, City, um, Liverpool. But... You know, not everything can be summed up in, in data. And just by watching the games, you can see the much improved comfortability we have at, at dealing with that pressure and playing out. So huge, huge positive. One of the next things to talk about from from a positive angle before we start to talk about maybe some of the mooglies, you know, some of the concerns <laughs> we've got uh, from these couple of games is uh, perhaps an interesting conversation. I don't know what you think, Cal, but we saw Pacata play last season... Um, as a 10, we saw Packer to play last season as an eight. We even saw him in a couple of games play, you know, double pivot back in that sort of double six um, position. We did see him play a couple of times on the left, but that was mostly sort of 5-4-1 playing on the left or like that sort of 5-2-2-1 two, two, system. In a 4-2-3-1 on the left, it's not something that he did very well previously in his career. Um, but, but so far at West Ham where I must emphasize the left midfielder is not really a left midfielder and never usually is under David Moyes. They are often stepping in, particularly when it was four hours, maybe lesser when it was Ben Ratner who operated more like a left winger. Um, they're always stepping inside and Pakata is doing a really good job of that. And there are a couple of things that, that, that raises, but given how much his level of performance has, has, has improved, um, Briefly, I will say just before I jump onto those that, you know, you talked about Ben Rama and the differences that you get with Packeter in the side and the variance in attack and the fact that he's crossing from the half space, outswingers, inswingers, all of that stuff. It You almost have to pair that with saying, you know yes, of course, we've lost the shooting threat that Ben Rama brought, you know, all that cutting inside and shooting. But when you're averaging out the impact that that had over the time that he was the first choice left, wing, it wasn't very high. Now, how many times did Ben Rama cut inside, shoot and score? I've left a long pause intentionally there. Um, <laughs> so, but in terms of Packers are playing on the left, one of the things that I think it maybe raises in terms of his improved level of performance is to talk about out, out of possession. So it's the big thing. I think when you're looking at his season so far, if you're looking at all the kind of aggregator accounts on Twitter, you know, finding something that's going to create engagement, they're all posting about Packers are recording ridiculous defensive numbers so far this season. And, I wonder if part of why we're able to see that is the role is so much simpler for him when he's on the left than when he's playing in the middle. Because if he's going to play as an eight defensively rather than being on the left defensively, he's got all of that scanning to do. You think how deep we get. You think how many times you see Suchek fill in the back line. How many times you see Edson fill into the back line. How many times you see covering the full backs when they step out. You know, Suchek is half the time dropping into the space between Zuma and Sufal to cover a a run that's moving into that space all these aerials that you have to win defending crosses stepping into assist the center backs or if you're the 10 all of this work that you've got to do pressing forward but getting the timing perfect not being too aggressive because if you're too aggressive you're opening the space between that front line and the midfield which forces the midfield then to step up and now you've opened too big of a gap between the midfield and the defense because the defense isn't going to step up Um, (laughs) on the left it's easier no your man's the fullback you press when he gets the ball and if it yeah. goes on the overlap, you drop back in left wing back. That's your job.
1: I think that's it. Your your job as a as a wide forward or wide midfielder in a Moise system is to just work your ass off. And we know Paqueta does that. That is yeah, exactly. it, that is the most simple way to say it is to just the the expectation is that you run up and down the flank for the whole game. In the final third, a player, particularly a player with Paqueta's quality, has the freedom to kind of do what he wants because whatever he does in the final third is probably going to be good. Um, and I think also, like we said with, I think we said it on last week's pod it was the fact that Paqueta has quite clearly earned Moyes' trust now affords him that freedom in the final third because he's doing the stuff out of possession. But yeah, I think it, it's not as tricky. You have one assignment, maybe two if the fullback is, um, if the winger and the fullback are interchanging or whatever. Um, but yeah, as an eight, particularly against some of those more difficult teams like a Liverpool, like a Brighton, where you could quite feasibly as an eight have maybe six different players to defend against in one game because of all the interchanges, whether that's the eight, whether that's the ten, whether that's an Evan Ferguson dropping in and sort of acting as an eight to, to try and trick the centre-backs into pressing out. And then your centre midfield is like, ah, oh, well, what do I do? Where do I go? Who's my man? Whereas out there, it's just, right, run back and forth do some creative stuff in the final third and when you lose the ball or if you lose the ball you need to run like a dog and get all the way back and even since Paquetta first arrived the one thing we said was sometimes to a fault he was incredibly tenacious and he would chase everything down wherever it went and yes when he was operating as an eight or a ten that tenacity could be exposed because like you say he would open up passing lanes that needed to be closed or he would over over press and then someone could just knock the ball to the side of him and run around him and then have a free run into open space. But now that he's sort of, there's that, his area of focus is is more, is, is limited. He doesn't have as much area to try and sort of patrol. Um, it, it, he's just able to just be so much more effective and just chase up and down that flank. And I personally would not want to be <laughs> on the receiving end of that pressing because he will not stop until he's either won the ball or Falgi and, and neither one of those would I want to be uh, up against.
0: Maybe we could also just simplify it and you say you stick the two mates together and, and
1: suddenly yeah. <laughs> just by being in
0: closer proximity, they're just much happier and, and that yeah. means they're better players. Um, right. Let's talk about substitutions um, and the way we can like segue into that, if you like, is by saying that Mikel Antonio didn't have his best game um, <laughs> against... Uh, Liverpool, uh, struggled to hold the ball up and provide a platform for us, missed his big, uh, chance. Um, and I just generally feel that the Matip versus Antonio thing never really seems to end very well for, for, yeah. for Mick or, or us. Um, they seem to have a real understanding that if you're just aggressive to the point that you feel like the ref might even give you a booking for throwing someone over, um, then you can kind of shut him down and actually, if you're Liverpool, you can probably get away with that half the time, which they do. Um, so not his best game. And still, I think we're doing the right thing by managing his minutes. We've already spoken about that on the pod. It's important that he isn't asked to play 90 minutes every game and, and isn't running to the ground early in the season so that you end up really struggling through the middle and, and back end of the season for actual output from, from Antonio. Um, but he comes off in this game. And again, um, Substitutions this time it's um, Kudus and now's rather than Kudus and Banrama, and uh, I mean I, I I came to it last last episode by saying it didn't really work. What did you make of it, Cal? I almost feel like I've got to come at it a very similar way this episode. Um, I just think you know this time it's Kudus going forward into the striker role rather than than coming on uh, deeper in midfielder on the on the on the wing, but it, it's it's a, it's becoming a, a really big problem, isn't it? The fact that there is not a physical presence in the squad to bring on up front, which kind of means you play for an hour where you're a threatening team from open play and then in the last half an hour, your corners all bust a little bit.
1: Yeah, 100%. And I think the most frustrating aspect of it is it was so obvious, <laughs> not, not even just from the summer, like in January. it's, It, it feels like we're kind of, rolling the dice every week until we till we find uh, the, the lucky sixes or whatever it is. Like, it's, okay, well, last week, Ings didn't really have the impact coming on up top. So let's see if Kudis can do a job up there this week. And ultimately, I think we're never going to find the solution because the solution really doesn't exist. And I think the closest thing I would say to being able to bring someone on that could even maybe replicate the Antonio style is, is Mubama, who, so far hasn't really seen any minutes and fair enough it's a lot to ask him to go on and do that but from what we've seen he is probably the most capable of carrying out that um, brief so to speak um, but yeah I think it was un- yeah, a-, a poor game from Antonio I think I don't think he won a single aerial, aerial duel from um, the numbers that I looked at and yeah it's it's we've seen it happen before um, we'll definitely see it happen again uh, this season if we're going to continue to rely on him and yeah until we find a solution we are unfortunately likely to be more of a blunted instrument after 60 70 minutes or whenever we decide to take antonio off or what will happen is that we'll realize that we can't take antonio off and then we'll have to play him for the full 90s and then he'll get injured and then we'll be screwed for the whole 90 because we don't have the antonio so it's just an, a very difficult position to be in um yeah it, it's it's unfortunate um but unsurprising I would say
0: what would I think the thing that we need to answer in this pod is sort of what our preferred option because we're going to have to find a way of muddling through until January we've seen Ings tried up there we've seen Kudas tried up there now against Liverpool I don't think these players have played particularly terribly I just don't think they're able able to provide the platform that we need from from our striker given the way that we're we largely approach uh, football matches, particularly these kinds of games where teams are going to press intensely. There are going to be a lot of balls that come out towards the striker. You're going to have lots of clearances when you are forced deep, and you want your striker to give you something from those moments to allow you to, to progress up the pitch and, and keep the ball or threaten on, on, on the break. Um, I'm, I'm not sure. I think the, the interesting thing about this conversation is, is because the because of the fact that Ings is here and, squad size, et cetera, you're going to need to sell Ings to be able to bring another striker in. Also, I think you can't have your cake and eat it, right? You can't have A million backup strikers and then also want Mbama to come through. Also want Callum Marshall to have a pathway. Like if you want these players to have pathways to the first team, you're going to have to clear out the positions so that they can come through. So Mm -hmm. you don't want to buy yourself a third striker and still have Danny Ings hanging around in the squad as well, because then, you know, Mbama's had no minutes so far. He'll have less than no minutes if, um, if those players are, are all floating about in the squad. Um, So if you want Danny Ings to be saleable, this is the thing that I maybe think is a little bit difficult for the, for the, for the team up until January. Do you play Ings? You know, midweek, we've got the game against Lincoln. Does Ings play in those games? So he gets a maybe a couple of goals under his belt. So a team in January who's hanging around in the bottom five of the prem goes, you know what? Yeah, we will give you 5 million for Danny Ings and see what happens uh, because we need someone who can add add goals to to our team, just in the same way that we did, by the way, last season. Or do you not play Ings? You bring Divine Mbama through, you start to develop him because you see him as maybe a better option to replace Antonio in these games. But then you've got Ings hanging around in the squad. You can't really sell him. And that stops you from being able to buy a strike in January. That maybe gives you a little bit of extra flexibility because I think Part of the problem as well is at West Ham that with a second-choice striker, you don't want them to be a carbon copy of McHale. You want them to be able to do some of the things that McHale does, but if they were exactly the same as McHale, then you'd be looking at games against maybe teams that are defending deeper against you or teams where you're going to dominate the ball and saying, well, we haven't really got a striker that's going to provide us the kind of platform we need in those kind of games because all of our strikers are suited to playing counter-attacking football. I'm not sure where I sit on this because I think it's quite important that Ings gets enough time that he's an attractive enough option for teams that make him saleable. He's already going to be difficult to sell because of his wages. Um, But also, I'm increasingly of the view having seen Ings play up there, having seen Kudus play up there. We talked uh, uh, very briefly on the last episode, I mentioned maybe Cornet, just because of his pace, could do something up there um, for us. But obviously there's the fitness issue, the fact that he's always offside, et cetera. And also he's, you know, like there is not like the level of potential that you get with the idea of divine coming through. But it seems to me that Mabama is the obvious option in a game like that. What do you lose from giving Mabama t- 25 minutes? Yes, he might not be totally ready himself yet. Like he, he might not score loads of goals himself yet. But what he might do is when Kudos comes on, Give Kudus an actual platform, an opportunity mm-hmm. to thrive more than when Kudus is coming on, having to hold the ball up for himself, then dribble, and then win three kicks, and then be a threat in the, in the box to to score from those chances as well. You need some kind of physical presence. And lastly on that, I would say, you know, Liverpool's so goal is a corner. If you're taking all of your physical presence off in games, you know, Thomas came off as well at the same time. So you take Suchek and Antonio off, you bring Kudus and hours on. And we conceded from a corner and we were playing quite well at 2-1. I wouldn't say that we were really right in the game and looking like we were going to equalize. But 3-1 puts it out of sight and you don't want those things to be coming from from situations like corners. Because actually, for a physical team, you've lost all of your physical presence.
1: Yeah, yeah I think that was the most frustrating part of it, I think, for me. Um, like you say, we weren't necessarily in it, but... On the flip side, if we got a corner at some point, then we could have been back in it if we had the physical presences on. Not only would we've been able to probably prevent that goal from going in just by way of having better players in those situations on the pitch. Um, I don't think we'd conceded from a set piece until that goal this season. I don't. I could be wrong on that, but I don't. I don't think we had. Um, we have had then, a set yeah, back
0: have, score against us, but madly it wasn't
1: from a set piece. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> mad I've got his name wrong. There, but... <laughs> um but yeah, yeah, it, it's just frustrating but I I I think Kudus could be the the guy, like you say, against those sort of low block teams who offers something a bit different to Antonio because I think um he performed very well up front on occasion for Ajax who obviously are a far more possession dominant side than we are. Um so he we've every reason to believe that he could do that role. He is more than capable of dropping off and probably linking up with a, with a bow and running in behind. Um, so I think in those games we, we can do that. Um, and I wonder if maybe like in those moments, if you're not going to bring on Mubama, then the solution is, well, if, if one person can't come on and cause the defenders enough problems as, as compared to Antonio, then maybe you just have two up there uh, and hope that two people can do it and bounce off each other. And, and maybe that's where you have a, I don't know, an Ings and could saw an Ings and a bow and shift it up and maybe you drop Alvarez into a centre-back role, and you shift into that 5-3-2 shape or something like that I don't know it's again we're just rolling the dice and trying to I don't know what is it us, throw through throw, throw, oh gosh my brain <laughs> <laughs> throw something at the wall enough times and eventually it'll stick kind of thing um, and that seems to be where we're at in these moments now and I think Yeah, Kudus, I think, could be the solution, but only in very, very um, limited situations. Because I think, more often than not, I don't anticipate that teams are going to sit off against us. There's probably only four or five teams in the league that I would expect wouldn't really be that interested in pressing us. um, And the rest of them, I think, it's going to be a pretty even battle. So I think you kind of do need the Antonio uh, mould up there. and. Yeah, I also think that I understand where you're coming from with regards to you kind of need to get Ings in the shop window a bit if we do want to shift him. But I also would hope, or maybe this is me just being very hopeful, that certain teams will look at him and go, well, okay, yeah, he's not really been in goal-scoring form, but also he's being asked to do a task that he can't do. And if we if we bring him in and ask him to do something he's good at, then maybe those goals will come. So I think advertising him in a system that doesn't bring the best out of him is is potentially worse than worse than not advertising him in some instances
0: different playing him against lincoln to
1: yeah. to playing him <laughs> against
0: some of the top teams in the premier very League. true that's, that's all i'll say on that um right very br- very briefly let's do tsc because i know we're we're running pretty late on this episode now um and i think one of the things we can talk about from from the T S D game is something that also came up in the Liverpool game, which is that and, and something we've already spoken about on the pod, but when you lose Alvarez uh from the team, or you lose uh Suchek from the team, um it well, Alvarez, it it doesn't look amazing um in midfield and the central the stability in the centre of the pitch isn't isn't really there. And I think part, part that actually, that's part of the reason why I didn't feel great about the last 20 minutes against Liverpool was, was that Ward-Prowse was deeper. Again, I'm really quite concerned about the bits that we've seen of that so far this season, because it doesn't look fantastic um, for us. It's just not enough physical presence in, in the double pivot with, with Ward-Prowse in there to, to allow the platform that we kind of need, especially, magnified by the fact that we've seen it at the same time as Antonio going off. So you just, like we've said, lose all the physical presence on the pitch. But against TSC, the lack of a natural six to cover in the squad forces us to sit both Packeter and James wilprous quite deep for a lot of the game. And then that created a situation where, you know, I didn't think Danny Inks had a particularly bad game. I thought he defended really well. I thought he forced TSC to go long all the time, which allowed us to have really good control um, of the match. Yeah. And he had a couple of nice moments combining but there just wasn't any. There wasn't enough support on the on attacks. That I felt like we created two quite nice wide triangles. Ings, Cresswell, and um, and Ben Rama on the left. Kudas, Fornells and Kerra on the right. But then who's in the middle? You haven't got anyone in the middle because behind that you've got your centre backs and your two midfielders, keeping that nice stability in the middle of the pitch. But you haven't got any threat through the centre. And I thought there were. Several issues as a result of that, but then also one of the, one of the. I don't think it will be much of a problem for us this season. But one of the slight issues with the backup team is that the that's kind of the team you're going to be using when you need to dominate games, and your fullbacks are set up to be defensive. So you land with Cresswell and Carrer in 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 the in the B team, but you need those guys to be getting up and and helping, being basically wingers, auxiliary attackers. Um, from an attacking perspective to make sure that you're matching up and overloading opposition back lines. TSC sitting almost ridiculously deep, uh, for, <laughs> yeah. for long periods of the game. Um, and yet they're not really perfect for that. Cresswell, you know, it's a bit like dial up, you know, you get the ball down the left and you wait 10 seconds for the left uh-huh. back to, to get up. And on the, on the right side, Kara is just not his game, is it? I mean, we saw that against TSC, a couple of really loose touches. Um, and and actually killed a lot of promising moves himself by not really being confident in in the positions he found himself in.
1: Yeah, I, I think you've you've pretty much nailed it there. Um, I think again, it's just a class well a classic case, and at least in West Ham's case, um, it's not dissimilar to what we've just said about Antonio and the lack of a sort of similar profile at fullback. We've we've got two fullbacks in the first team that are pretty happy bombing up the pitch and, and whipping balls into the box and are competent enough defensively. Whereas as soon as you go to the backups, the drop-off is significant and, and we can no longer play the same style of football that we want to and also need to against this, this type of opposition. So it's just a squad that's not really exactly there yet, I wouldn't say. I think we're we're obviously getting there and we've really improved the start in 11, But when you start to look at the depth in terms of, Continuity, Um, like the numbers are there, but in terms of continuity, there's everything has to change massively as soon as you start to move a few pieces around in that starting eleven. Whether that's Alvarez at the six, whether that's Ings up top, whether that's the fullbacks. Um, So yeah, it was frustrating, but I think obviously the main positive was Kudus, and I think I was just I've been so excited to watch him. Um, I wasn't sure if he would come straight in. I kind of I I assumed he would, but I didn't know in what. like star, I didn't know if he'd whack him up top and try him there. I didn't know if he'd try him in the 10. I didn't know if he'd try him for the right. didn't know if he'd use him as an eight, um, which is kind of one of the great things about Kudus is he could have played in any of those positions, which is really nice. Um, but yeah, I was really impressed. And I think it was just super exciting to see someone that was so willing to just run with the ball, just, just carry in those central areas. We haven't really seen that since Lingard, really. Um, and I think a, certainly not a player that, attempts 10 dribbles and, and at what four progressive runs per 90 um yeah obviously the opposition comes into it but I think having watched Kudis at Ajax as well I think I don't think there's anything that would suggest to me that he wouldn't at least try that against <laughs> against better opposition so um I think yeah just having that sort of dynamic profile in there that's just going to make things happen and again win those free kicks we saw him win plenty of free kicks um against Bakhtopoulos so yeah. I think that was the main positive takeaway for me. Um and yeah, I really really am excited to see a lot more of him going forward and I think he can offer us a lot and potentially be one of the the solutions particularly against low blocks because I think if there's a way in which you can get him Bowen and Paqueta in then I think you can really start to unlock those defenses that we have previously not been able to
0: yeah, and although it was brute force in the end with a couple of crosses and uh, and corners, um, I have to say my main positive takeaway was someone who could probably play up front based on his highlights from the Bundesliga. Dinos Mavropanos was, yeah, just great. Like, just yeah. brilliant. On the ball, fantastic. Covering defensively, all of his duels. Just, yeah, ace. And obviously, yeah. again, like you said, opposition plays into it, but it was a fantastic first outing. And... um yeah, I think it's really good now that there's someone there who you feel if Zuma was to pick up an injury, as he generally does, um, I feel pretty confident in, in, in who we've got as, as the backup player on that side to come in and, and not really miss a beat because he looks like a fantastic acquisition and a, and a really good player for us going forward. Um, so some real some real positives from, from this week, although um we've had a couple of negative results in, in the league and, and a and a wobble against TSC and the Europa League, there's some real positive things to take away. And um I think what we'll leave you with this week is saying that, you know, if we maintain the level of performance that we've seen against Man City and, and Liverpool in many of the fixtures that we've got coming up now before Christmas, you have to think that we'll pick up a, a decent lot of points. Thank you and um and catch you all later.